This is The Hill, talking rugby league with Sam Perry and Tim Sparks. Hello and welcome to the fledgling podcast known as The Hill, reflected through the eyes of two middle-class white Sydney males now living in Melbourne. Exactly what you asked for. And isn't that apt? As this state's rugby pride, that's right, it's rugby here in Victoria, the Melbourne Storm were this week denied the use of park facilities by New South Wales-based Albury Council after Council voted down the idea 5-4. Now I don't know about you, but I haven't seen a bigger 5-4 boil over since the great Billy Moore famously wagged his finger at the crowd after crashing over at Lang Park in 1992 on debut to seal a famous 5-4 Queensland origin victory in the wet and leaving this seven-year-old in a flood of confused elation and tears in his ride homestead way past his bedtime. Anyway, none of it matters because Storm, uh, the Storm that is, had a backup plan and they're now training on a private Aussie rules ground or some shit. However, could you contrast that any more starkly than with the arrival of the New Zealand Warriors in Tamworth, the treacherous journey, the hero's welcome, and now a group ready to become every one's second favourite team training out of their Scully Park Fortress. Sparks will have more on Scully Park later. Then again, you might have a different view on it. Sure, on the one hand, you had 5'8 Blake Green earnestly describing the genuine difficulty of farewelling his six-year-old son, who literally said to him, Dad, I don't want you to go, as Blake, his father, walked away from him for what might be five or so months. And sure, as a father of a two-year-old son, I may, may well have been chopping onions as I watched him describe that. But then again, on the other hand, we had former Member of Parliament Emma Hussar comment this week, Can someone remind NRL players whinging for having to be separated from family so they can play, inverted commas to visit a soldier deployed in Afghanistan and ask them how they feel about being separated from their families perspective hashtag COVID hashtag NRL very good point Emma and next time I think about missing my children I'll ask myself am I going to Afghanistan and if I'm not going to Afghanistan I'll be sure to change my feelings which will now be entirely based upon whether soldiers have them as well in other news, Channel 9 continues to claim it doesn't want to pay much for rugby league anymore, which is pretty much in line with every other broadcaster of every other sport in Australia. In return, Peter Vlandis has said they should pretty much pay what he says. I think we all have a fair idea who's going to win that one. What else? Bryce Cartwright uh, doesn't want a flu jab. Scott Morrison suggests no jab, no play, which is, of course, an extension of the comforting primary school edict of no hat, no play, which in turn is what Wayne Bennett is saying to his players with peroxided hair. So really, whichever way you look at it, everyone is taking a haircut. We've got esteemed Australian sports writer and offsiders panellist Richard Hines on the show tonight. He'll bring some insight and clarity to the question of health, safety, player demonisation and community standards. We've also got a historic Who Would You Rather Be, another dubious What Could Have Been led by Sparks, and it's my turn to provide a Tiger Corner topic, and of course I'll be doing that with our own in-house oracle who will wade through all of the above from the off. Now I'm not talking about the NRL economist who this week, apropos of nothing, wrote a 1,400-word puff piece, a normal puff piece about Coda NASA that nobody asked for. I'm talking about Timothy Paul Sparks waiting patiently at the other end while I set this up. Now, Tim, let me lead you in with a quote from the Emperor, Mr. Vlandis. As you know, he recently said, There will never have been more interest in rugby league than on May 28. Rugby league is part of the social fabric of so many communities. In these difficult times, it will provide a tonic for so many seeking a form of normality during a period where nothing is normal. Tim, with a world coronavirus death toll of 3.66 million, 7,000 cases in Australia, where most smart people are predicting a second wave. And three weeks, though, until the NRL season starts, what sort of tonic will rugby league's resumption provide you, Tim? Oh, Pezza. G'day, mate. How good is that intro? And g'day to all the listeners out there. Good to be with you again. So much happening. Nothing being played, but so much happening. 
Uh, the tonic pezza. Uh, I don't know, mate. I don't What's know. What's tonic? Oh, I'm going to swallow the tonic, as I would if it was a, a tonic <laughs> water. I'll definitely swallow it. In that, in that, I mean, I watch it. Uh, I'm going to. I'm not. I don't. I still don't know. I know that's not what you want, uh, but I don't know. Like I, we, I can't go to the games that are going to be played. I probably can't sit around and watch them with anyone else other than my girlfriend who I live with who. Do, you know, doesn't love leaguers the way I do. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's getting close with every day, isn't it? So get ready. You're not going to have a, like maybe a watch party on Facebook or something? Sort of, we, we don't know who the Tigers are playing next year, do we? But no. Maybe, maybe start, a watch, start a watch party or something or, or, or a, Zoom, a Zoom gathering. Might have to. Watching the Tigers versus, you know, the, the Warriors out of Scully there. <laughs> They're going to be playing out of there too, yeah. Uh, we could do those things, mate. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's got the same sort of appeal as, you know, catching the bus and, you know, getting off and walking mm. to your ground, whichever one it might be, or, you know, meeting up with friends and family. So are, you, are you suggesting that rugby league's return may not be the, the, the euphoric tonic that the nation needs to return to normalcy, that it may in fact be a soulless, empty version of dystopia that... Um, is really the result of decade upon decade of endless commercialization of the game where now it is forced to play because as a business it will completely crumble without content is that what yeah, you're saying yeah that's what i was trying to say yeah hmm. essentially um tim speaking of that the the, the let, let's just go from the macro let's t- let's talk Let's talk, you know, the big end of town. Let's talk the corporate stuff, which you and I are both extremely well versed in. Oh yeah, and that's why the listeners tune into this as well. Broadcasters say they want to pay less for mm. the code. Fox, Fox Sports, um, Channel Nine, they want to pay less because there's no crowd. It's a diminished product. Peter Vlandis has actually come out and said, "No, look, we just as partners of the game, we'll need you to actually stick with the contract and kind of do what we say." Um, Hugh Marks, head of Channel Nine, said, "We've agreed on nothing." Maybe an issue with the with the, with the longer term partnership. I, I guess you know, without getting into the uh, macro microeconomics of a team, like I want, I want you to let me know, like as a principal, do you think, like, do you think games are going to be worth less without crowds? Yes, as it, yes, <laughs> yes, because games will be less popular. I think so. Mm. You know, popularity. That's a, an economic term. Supply and demand, isn't it? Right, and the, the demand's there. Well, please, then, you know. Yeah. Um, Wall Street. The supply goes up. Wall Street, Nasdaq. Mm. Uh, you mm. know, Wall Street Journal. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it, well, it'll definitely be worth less because not as many people are going to want to watch it. I don't think you know the mm. the atmosphere of the of the crowd and. You know, the interaction with the players in the crowd is, well, it's so much of it. You know, I'm not going to go and say it's 100% it, but it's so much of it. And yeah, it won't it won't feel the same. It didn't. We actually, we know this because we had one round of it. There was a test, a test mm. run or it, it's happened. Mm. We watched the Roosters play Manly at Leichhardt Oval in front of nobody. And mm. it wasn't that, that good. Was a good game. <laughs> oh, you know, it might have been a good game of football. You know, there could have been some skills on show and I'm sure Tedesco played well and 
you know, Tommy Turbo. I, th- I can't even uh, remember who won. You know, but well, well, Sparks. That that is what Madge said this week. Sorry to interrupt, but that you know that that is what Madge said this week. He said, you know, the training's being impacted. Uh, you know, there's there's probably a little bit less money in the game now. Might be a bit less, bit less money going forward. And he sort of had a bit of a message, I think, to the broadcasters who pay for the code. And they said, listen, if you're not going to stump up the cash. You know, the product will be diminished because we won't have these great athletes kicking around. And I guess I want you, you know, oh, yeah. you look up to Madge as the coach of your club, you know, is the is the quality of the code, is the quality of the product, and I know you like to refer to it as a product, as a lifelong league fan, completely contingent upon how good the athletes are. You know, do you did the game change once big wingers came in? Okay, well, yeah, the game did change. We, this is good. So For the better. The game did change, but did it make it better? No. Okay, so did the did the increased athleticism and the pace and the strength of the players make the game better? No, it didn't. Uh, and if you go to the product, there's a in my belief there's a real misconception into what people refer to the product as, where these guys refer to the product as the game. I don't believe that is. I believe the clubs are the product. Uh, and if we're going to even talk about it as a, as a product, you know, I don't even, I feel uncomfortable talking about it as a product. Mm. So that no, like four times. Use the correct terminology. Seconds. But I think, yeah, if you, if, if you can sum up what league is about, it's about the clubs and it's about the fans and it's about the history um, of those clubs and the rivalries and all that sort of stuff. It's not about the, you know, the flick passes and the one-handed put-downs and all that sort of stuff. Like, I just don't buy that. I know that's what coaches and executives try and lead us to believe, but I actually think it's false. And you can go back well, and look at... Mm? Well, as well, mate, you know, you and I were, were lucky enough to go along to a State of Origin lunch for Game 3, um, State of Origin 2009, uh, up there at Lang Park, and, um, and, and Wayne Bennett was the guest speaker. And, you know, after... After he told the Channel 7 cameras, you know, to just turn the cameras off and he'll say what he really thinks. Well, you know, at the side of his mouth, among many other things, he said, you know, players hit much harder today than they used to, mate. Believe you me. You know, so how do you answer that? You know, they hit much harder today. They run quicker time trials today. They get over 40 metres today. They jump higher today. You know, where do you think where, where do you think yeah. the broadcast revenues come yeah. from? Well, they can't pass both sides of the body though these days, can they? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Can they execute I think a run? Jamie Ainsco they- could either. Oh, you lay off Jamie Ainsco for once. Lay off him. <laughs> uh, can you tell us anything about this fucking digital chat that's going on at the moment? Oh. Uh, you know, the, the the NRL has a digital arm and they don't want to sell the digital arm. Or we, I mean, what? To me, it just looks like it's the NRL have just gone, well, we own a whole bunch of content. We can create a bit of competitive tension with it. Uh, and because if we didn't have it, broadcasters just come in and say, well, we'll pay what we want you to pay because you've got no one else who will show it. Yeah, that's I think that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, and they've got they've got a platform essentially that they're probably ready to be able to sell to one of the streaming services again, maybe at a higher price, uh, and again to create the market tension that you're talking mm, about. Bit of market tension. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's that's pretty much the long and the short of it. And all right. All right. Well, that's look. That's enough business chat. That's, that's not why people tune into this show, as far as I believe, judging from the the texts and the WhatsApps and the. And the God knows what supply demand, not yeah. Nasdaq. Yeah. Um, you, you, go to the NRL training. Economist yeah. if you if you want that sort of stuff, Pezza. That's a really good point, and we'll talk about the NRL Economist a little bit later. Um, one of the great new voices in the game, and I'm just going to 
I guess run 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 through a few recent articles with a fine tooth comb, um, as is something you would do with any great journalist. Really, that, that that's what they want. It's the name of the game. Um, players have returned to training. Sparks, uh, as I said at the top of the show, Warriors are heroes in Tamworth. Storms are villain, villains in Albury. I'm not sure what you think about what's happened in Albury. Whether you give a fuck at all, <laughs> but um, the Storm wanted to play in Greenfields Park, as far as I can understand. But the deputy mayor, doctor, said um, letting them use the park when others couldn't was like a slap in the face. I guess my question to you is, I mean, is this an Aussie rules thing? Is this an Albury v Wodonga thing? Is this outside our level of understanding? Is it, is it... No, I don't think it is. I thought that perhaps it might be for a minute. But <laughs> as it's turned out, the storm... They're not using like the council-operated league park that they were going to use. They're now actually using the, I guess, the privately operated Aussie Rules Park. Uh, so it's not a. I don't think it's a Aussie Rules v League thing. I don't think it's, you know, a Victoria, New South Wales thing. I just think it's. Um, and do just... you think Sparks, while he say that, again, I apologize, apologize for the interruption. No, no, it's okay. Not the first, it won't be the last. No. I note that the grand final may be at the SCG this year, especially if the World T20 in cricket is um, going to struggle to get up given there's 10 different countries attempting to come along when there's no international travel. Um, a lot of people have said that, like, you know, people, teams struggle to kick at the SCG, halfbacks struggle to kick because they can't get their bearings because it's an oval ground, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a circle, if you will. Um, and so perhaps by going to an Aussie rules ground, the Storm are actually preparing best for the SCG, which is not, you know, which itself is not a rectangle. What do you think about that? Is it, is it another Bellamy masterstroke? Well, it could be. I mean, it's very out of the box, very out of the box, but, you know. It'll please the likes surprise. of the Waitleys on SEN, you know, triple one six, you know, and uh, the AFL guys will, will be thinking, well, they're, play, they're playing at the Aussie rules ground in, uh, in Albury. Good on them. Half their luck. Yeah, absolutely. once again, another another storm masterstroke. Yeah, exactly right, mate. But um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> On the other hand, it could just be common sense from the council. You know, a couple of doctors make up that uh, that council. I think there, and they're pretty well informed people. I don't know. So, uh, so, so the players have come back. Those sparks, um, they've returned to training. You're you've been watching the programs. You're across the protocols, etc. The things that they've got to do. Um, so perhaps just for the listeners... Do you want me to walk you through it just to, a little bit? Just, yeah, maybe walk me through the protocols and then finish by um, finish by predicting with me how how long until a, a, a player um, slips the protocols and, and gives everyone coronavirus. Sure. Cheers. Now, I think, apparently, I think the, 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 the full protocol manual is 40 pages long. So 47. 47, sorry. So it will or mm. won't surprise you that I haven't read it all. Uh, but from what I have seen, pretty straightforward stuff. Uh, as with most workplaces at the moment, temperature checks on the way in. You know, so you've got the um, the temperature check uh, to make sure you're good to go. Uh, disinfecting of all the equipment, your weights and your, I guess your uh, your therabands that you warm up with, and your probably your footies and things like that. Your tackling bags are all getting washed down with disinfectant. You're just listing equi- You're just listing After. equipment now. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm just saying they're, they're, they'll all be dis- disinfecting just in case. Disinfected. People. Disinfected, yeah. Uh, sterilized. Uh, so training in small groups of less than 10. <laughs> all right. So again, to, to stick with the, yeah, I think you can't have more than 10 people or something. Right. Uh, so from what my understanding is, a lot of uh, clubs are going with eight players and two coaches. 
at any given time. Okay, so that's the ten people, not ten players. So uh, a lot of them, right. have, a lot of them, have, yeah, they've taken sort of a, I guess, a circuit approach to training. So you might have, uh, you know, ten people in the gym working on some strength sort of stuff. Uh, then you'll have another ten, uh, possibly in another sort of, you know. Uh, room or something like that maybe working on some stretching and some mobility and then you'll have another 10 out there on the field doing you know some ball work and uh, a field session and that sort of thing uh you know you sort of do that for half an hour or whatever uh someone would come through disinfect all the all the equipment whatever it was they were using uh though if that was (laughs) uh and then yeah through you go so a different way of doing it you go that, that seems to be what they're doing. And yeah, under the... I've got written down here, actually, under the Australian Institute of Sports Return to Sport Guidelines, uh, NRL sides are currently in the level B stage of training. So no B. tackling or wrestling yeah. drills are to be completed. Yeah. Just, yeah, just your ball work and your conditioning, uh, as I said. So that's how it's looking. Uh, and yeah, us recording here on a Wednesday. Uh, most clubs have done it today. And um, yeah, from, from all reports, it sounds like uh, everyone absolutely excelled except for one player, but we might get back to him a bit later, I guess, in the show. Oh, no, let, let's do it. Yeah, we, we were um, uh, absolutely annihilated. Our, our eyeballs were annihilated with um, many reports from one news outlet, Fox Sports News, Fox Rugby League, um, who wanted to let us know today that um, Latrell Mitchell struggled in the fitness sessions. Yeah. Um, had his hands on his hips at his at club, one point. South Sydney. That's a headline, apparently. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. Every, everyone that else was that was that was shelf. reported by staff writers, of course. Yeah, fuck. Well, we'll just you know, we'll get to that later, maybe. But yeah, anyway, okay. that's basically what you're looking at with the new protocols, uh, Pezza, and I guess, yeah, I think at some point they can move into level A. I don't know when that happens. That'd be, that'd be the logical next step. Yeah, and that's when you can start to tackle and wrestle and all that sort of stuff. I think they, I think mm-hmm. they want to be doing that next week, but don't quote me on that bit. But everything else, the disinfecting and, and those sorts of stuff, you can quote me on that because yeah, that's what they're up to. Uh, so Warriors, just in this um, player, yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh, yeah, just doing gonna, your Just gonna uh, walk you through the Warriors. They'll have a pretty good setup yeah, up there actually in Tamworth. Uh, I've okay. been up there what makes my- you say that? Well, I've been up there myself. Went up there last year for the, the Tigers and Gold Coast uh, fixture. The Tigers taking a home game up there every year at the moment. Christ. So, really beautiful ground there. But they've got the ground uh, and the Leagues Club essentially on the same block. And so, the Leagues Club also attached to the Leagues Club is like a hotel. And there's a gym and things like that in there as well. So, they've basically got the... Yeah, where they're staying, where they're eating, where they're working out in the gym, they're basically right there, and they can just walk out uh, straight onto the field. And, oh, uh, and train man, unbelievable! So they're not, they won't be interrupted by having to, you know, shuttle buses uh, into the gym oh. or anything like that, which is what's going to confront uh, mm. the Melbourne Storm down at Albury. So I think the Warriors are fascinating. You know, they're um. Yeah, they're, they're looking pretty comfortable there. But, you know, again, and that's where, you know, they might run in a bit of trouble. Sometimes you can be too comfortable in your environments, Pezza, and <laughs> it doesn't sort of uh, develop sort of the resilience and the uh, the work ethic sometimes that, that's needed to, to create real champion players and teams. So, you know, 
Uh, the storm having a shuttle bus into the gym, maybe there at Albury. You know, it could be the sort of resilience and um, chip on the shoulder that the Melbourne Storm coach Craig Bellamy might, might want from his players and might get them there to the SCG where they've done all the, the kicking practice too, mate. So that's about the wrap on training at the moment uh, that I can give you if you're happy yeah. with that. I just want just one thing. Bryce Cartwright's rejected a flu jab, um, largely largely due to his um, and very and he's entitled to have them as civil civil libertarian kind of um, views on the impact of flu vaccinations. Um, what impact do you think that'll have on his Gold Coast outfit? Well, is, is he out? Does that mean he doesn't play? Like, is that? Is that a given? I don't... Is, who's making the calls? Is it Scott Morrison? Or well, the, the report today said something along the lines of they've just signed a waiver or something. So... Yeah, I'm not sure. My understanding is that a lot of the uh, Polynesian guys, it's some, it's either... I don't know. It's either cultural or a religious thing that they they can't like have the flu injection. And so the NRL said that's sweet. They don't have to. Uh, but if it's, you know more a moral thing or something like that apparently at this stage they have to get it so I don't know mate um judging by the way so you seem a bit you seem you seem a bit um nervous about making any kind of comment about an anti-vaxxer well it's not my place to be telling people well probably I mean telling anyone well I think you should get vaccinated that's that's uh that's you know you're in trouble when fucking Scott Morrison's saying mate no jab no play <laughs> yeah that's true no, when, I just when Scott Morrison's giving you the rounds, just saying, "Fucking pull your head in, your buffhead." Yeah. Read a book. Yeah, yeah. Generally, whenever I go to a doctor or listen to a doctor, I just listen to them essentially because get it done. They yeah. know more than I do around that sort of stuff. So. Okay. Um. Yes. Yeah, I don't know, mate. See what happens, I guess, with that. But I, I think if he doesn't oh, get the jab, then he, yeah, as you said, he, he's not playing. So. I didn't say that. Um, didn't you? Yeah, okay. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, look, I think that that's a good wrap uh, of what's happening in the league circles, and it got to the point where you just started listing fucking things that people are bringing to training that are getting washed. Um, so thanks for that wrap, mate. Let's get into who would you rather be. And a very historic uh, and kind of like... Well, it actually doesn't get much higher in profile than this. I mean, normally a Who Would You Rather Be is involved some kind of former Newcastle Knights or Illawarra Steelers player from uh, the and maybe Penrith to a lesser extent from the <laughs> late 80s to early 90s. But this is nothing of the sort. This is um, right out of the bag. And I believe it's a um, great friend of the show, Billy Reese, who suggested this. So thank you, Billy. Um, Tim, I'm going to bring it to you now. Um, who Would You Rather Be? Uh, Laurie Daly or... Daily Messenger. Yeah. Pretty good. Pretty good. Out of the box. Uh, I like it. I mean, for, first things first for those who are screaming into their earphones. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the rules of the game is they've got to sort of share a name and the, 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 the connection is Daily versus Dally mm. uh, Messenger. But um, we're prepared to make an exception because it is interesting, I believe, to compare people from... Um, vastly different eras, and I'm very keen to see where you land on this, Spark. So why don't you walk through your views on both players and their various achievements and the career that you'd prefer to have? Who would you rather be? 
Yeah, okay. Well, look, it's going to be... If, if, if you put Laurie Daly on my desk, it's going to be very, very hard to overthrow him. I, I just have so much time uh, for Laurie as a player, as a coach, um, you know... Well, explain why. Go through his career. Don't, just, don't get to the end. Okay. Well, just, Walk through it. you know, a one-club player at the Raiders, probably the best, in my, I think, in my opinion, the best teams that I've ever seen put together, the 94 Raiders. Uh, 91 was pretty good as well. Well, all, all their teams were um, from that period of time. Played in what would have, I don't know, how many grand finals we're looking at there? Four? Maybe five? Uh, you know, what have we got here? 23 New South Wales games, 21 for Australia. You know, just... Three which, New South Wales Super League. Yeah, exactly. You know, 5-8, a centre. You know, just everything. And just, a, you know, from, from what it sounded like, just a really good bloke. Uh, you know, very old school in his approach and his method. A football player, Pezza, as we, as we sort of usually talk about on this show. Uh... One story I remember hearing, Andrew Johns and Laurie Daly were rooming together in one of the um, in one of the New South Wales Origins. And I think, you know, in, in game one, like, they both, like, just, you know, drank heaps in the week and, like, ordered room service all the time and, you know, played up a fair bit. And then I think they lost the first game. So, like, they came back into camp for the next week and they're like, all right, that's it, we're getting serious. You know, no room service. Um, you know, we're gonna, you know, stay off the piss after the bonding session, all that sort of stuff. Uh, ex- extra fitness, etc., etc. Um, and so they'd made it like they'd hand, sh- they'd shaken hands on all that sort of stuff. And anyway, apparently Johns goes down for a swim or, or something like that, does a bit of extra fitness work uh, one of the afternoons, and he comes back, and like Laurie Daly's apparently laying on his bed, completely naked, just eating like a full packet of Tim Tams, and he's like down to like. There's two left, and he's just sitting there naked, uh, smashing this whole um, packet of Tim Tams. And, Can't have him been there. And and Joey just sort of walks in and is like, you know, what's doing? What's going on? And Laurie Daly just sort of smiled smiled to him and offered him the last Tim Tam or something like that. And Laurie Daly went on to you know be man of the match, and they they won the series from there. So that's the kind of player I think he was, Pezza. That's pretty good. I would have loved to have been able to do that sort of stuff. So it's going to be hard, but, I mean, then there's Messenger. I don't know. I mean, where do we start? Where, do, you, do, you want to, do you want to chime in here a little bit? I mean, he played for the Roosters. Mate, hang on a sec. You, okay, let's just call this out because I'm watching your, your eyes dart across yeah, a Wikipedia yeah. page here or something. You've basically gone, oh, if someone puts Laurie Daly on my desk, it's hard to go past him. Played in a couple of grand finals, tests and origins. Played a bit of, you know, played a, was a good footy player at centre on 5'8", and here's a story about him eating Tim Tans. And you've not read a fucking word about Daly Messenger. What do you what do you want to say about Messenger? You say, okay, how about how about when Sydney had a population of 250,000 and Daly Messenger was still playing rugby union, 50,000 used to come and watch him play. Well, how about the fact that rugby league? How about, how about the fact that the code probably doesn't start without Daly Messenger? Yeah, no. Look, I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. Are you? Yes, how, yeah. mate. I mean, look, I didn't know a whole lot about him other than like he was sort of the you know almost the godfather, the founder of the league. Um, and they do say the best player ever, don't they? They say that, don't they? Well, they call him the grandfather of the game. 
literally the grandfather of the code, and also he had a grandson called Dally Messenger the Third. That's pretty good. <laughs> he was born in probably Birchgrove. the probably he was born the greatest. Birchgrove or Balmain, sorry. That's right. Then moved to Double Bay. Then yeah. lived in like South Melbourne and played yeah Victorian yeah. rules football. And and he, and played. He was the greatest cross code player ever. He was he was literally the guy that came across. Rugby league offered him money. He made the code what it was. Goes over to the UK for a couple of kangaroos tours. As he goes over there, hops off the boat because they've got boats over there and Lord knows what happened on those boats for starters. Now, that, do you want that career? You want to be on those boats? I probably do, to be honest. Takes about four months to get over there. Less said the better, probably. Um, let's talk in vague generalities about that. Gets off the boat. Who's he got there wanting to line him up for a contract to change codes again? Newcastle United. Tottenham Hotspur. Come play with us. He says no. Plays, yeah, rug- plays rugby league. Dominates. Um, everyone goes to see him, goes to the games, they're holding up signs saying, Daily Messenger's playing today. Uh, absolute phenomenon. And then you've got some, um, then you've got myth, mythology about him, where um, mm. people have said that, uh, people have said that um, he's, he's kicked a goal from 80 yards, like in 19, 10 or whatever, which good. would be 73 metres. Oh, I don't think that's happened, Daly, to be fair. A couple of people, I should say, on um, Twitter and the socials, Claiming they're kicking stuff from sort of forty plus meters out as well, and, and it's just a bit annoying watching that. Saying that that's, that's not forty meters. Or what? Just bar. your regular punters, or just regular punters. I'm just saying, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna put your kicking stuff up there, just be really accurate with mm. where you're doing it from, because I just think it creates a bit of an inflated economy, and um, it, 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 and, and true kickers are very very accurate about where they've done it from, um, etc. But anyway, I, I digress. I mean. Daily Messenger probably should have been the first immortal ever named. He ends up he ends up being somewhere down the track there. He's in he's in rugby league's team of the century leading up to two thousand and eight. On the bench, mind you, controversial. Um, this is these are achievements that, that that even someone as legendary as Laurie Daly don't get near me. I think I mean, it's interesting, like, but if he's played forty eight games of the code, you know. <laughs> Laurie played that in two years mm. before it was in professional. Mm. I just think that's sort of interesting. It's interesting in some ways that. Well, that's for yeah. Are you interested? But yeah. Yeah, I guess. But you know, yeah. like even if you just want right. to go, well, I'll be Laurie Daly because I played like two. I just get to play the game two hundred more times. Mm. That's it. I think that's yeah, but he, pro- he he played a bunch. Of, he played a bunch. He played a bunch of tests for Australia as well in uh, in Union. Daily Messenger. Yeah, so I'm not playing. so interested in playing Union, mate. Like this is the league cast here. You know? Even not, even back then. Not here. Even back then. I think that's a lie, and I think that you have great respect for the Wallabies jersey, and I think you should be honest about that. Like, league isn't just like right, th- this right. cast isn't just rooted in 2010 and beyond. I mean, all of our stories of sport and stuff were forged well before that. When no, that's rugby true. union was very much a part of rugby league. You know, the the best schoolboy rugby union player I saw was Ryan Cross, playing for Waverley mm. against Joey's preseason. Dad used to take me up. Used to dream about. Going to Joey's and playing there. What sort of dreams that? It's a bit sick, isn't it? Yeah, anyway. I'm not too sure about that, mate. Look, you know, City, New South Wales, too for um for for Messenger there. If it's if it's if it's to be truthful, nine two eight to nineteen twelve, City, New South Wales, uh, mate. Look, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to be Laurie Daly. Uh, wow. I just yeah, I just think. Maybe there's an issue with me of not being able to appreciate things before I could see them. 
or something yep. like that, you know? But I, I don't think that's be true because right. if you asked me if I wanted to be Don Bradman or something like that, I probably would have a good hard think about it. All right, Don Bradman or Shane Warne, quickly. Well, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I'd be, well, yeah, be Warne. But, but I mean, look, maybe there is an, there's an issue there somewhere for me, but I'm still happy to say I'm going to be Laurie. Yeah. Daily messenger for me. Great question. Thanks, Billy Reese. Coming up next, we're going to talk with a guy who's actually across his beat. We said this about Phil Lutton last week, but Richard Hines has been doing a, a power of work in sports writing. One of the rare guys, as far as I could see, um, who is uh, not as encumbered to their outlet in the way that they write and um, obviously very senior, very experienced and, and um, saying things with great clarity. Uh, Richard will be coming up next. Okay, well, it's our pleasure on the hill to have another person who is, um, um, well, far too high profile, really, and far too experienced and skilled to be appearing on this show, but nevertheless has, for some reason, agreed. Um, he's one of the best sports writers in Australia. He's an offsiders panellist and columnist with the ABC. I'm talking about Richard Hines. Well, firstly, Richard, uh, you know, where does this appearance on the hill sit in the pantheon of uh, things that you've done in sports writing? Well, I've just found out my iPhone's due for a software update. So if that starts, I'll have to leave you to watch that. But otherwise, I can squeeze you in. Awesome. Uh, one reason we wanted to talk to you before the season comes back is um, everyone's just got such great answers to that. Is, um, you, also, you seem, at least to me, to be one of the rare people writing about rugby league who doesn't seem too encumbered by um, the media agendas or the, or the people that they're writing for who may be or may not be involved in broadcast negotiations. And I just want to point out, I want to read something that you wrote in a recent column. You, uh, you said it was about fans and footballers. You said footballers once slavishly worshipped by adoring fans are now being lectured like distracted homeschooled children on their moral obligation to entertain a bored public and at a stretch even save the game. Um, we've talked earlier on the show, Richard, about Emma Hussar's invoking of soldiers in Afghanistan um, and players needed <laughs> to have some perspective. You know, like, what, what do you think the pandemic and the ensuing crisis felt by many sports has revealed about its attitudes towards players? Well, they're our dancing bears, aren't they? <laughs> Just in, as I wrote the other day, you know, here we are now entertainers. Go out there. <laughs> It's it's amazing transformation. I haven't seen in my lifetime this sudden flicking of the switch from these guys who are our superstars and we hung off their every word and asked their opinion on everything from um, the Trump presidency to the Kardashians. And now suddenly we're talking down to them. Stay at home, behave, go out there, risk your life, entertain us. It's a, it's a really strange kind of zeitgeist change in our attitude toward players. It is fascinating, and it's, and so much of it is being couched as this uh, in in this sense of uh, sacrifice and needing to do it for the game and doing it for the community. But I, I don't know if you saw this, Richard. You probably did. Um, Vince Regari in the Sydney Morning Herald did a piece recently where he, there was a survey of more than fourteen hundred fans in Australia. This is according to him, conducted by True North Research, and it found that less than two fifths. So 39% were in favour of at least one of the country's five major leagues restarting play in 2020, whereas the rest, 61%, were either undecided or against it, despite a positive trend in Australia's coronavirus landscape in comparison to other countries. So I know that there's a lot of numbers and stuff in that, but basically what, what it's saying is that um, most people, according to this research, don't really want sports to come back. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm sort of generalising vaguely there. <laughs> it kind of um, begs yeah. the question, like, do you think, Fans are as desperate for play to resume as we're being to resume as we're being led to believe in Australia. 
No, no. Unless you, unless those fans happen to own um, high-profile media companies, so we're counting, you know, the, the fans who own Fox Sports and the fans yeah. who own Channel Nine. They're, they're probably well, they're divided. Actually, that's a fifty-fifty split. But yeah, yeah I don't know. I, it's a funny thing. I posed this question. I wrote a, a different column earlier in the thing, and I actually posed the question: What if we found we didn't? you know, really miss sport as much as people yeah. thought. What sort of problem is that going to pose for the people running it? And look, I'm not one of those. I want it to come back. But I reckon what people, I reckon the thinking behind that all is a lot of, we've been posed all these weird models of sport. So it's like mm. sport without fans and sports with players living in pods and sports with, you know, weird time dynamics and, you know, nine games a week, you know, with Gus Gould commentating on all of them. And it's, it's just um, all these really weird semblances of sport that aren't sport as we knew it. So it's like, yes, we want fans. If you said to fans, do you want um, NRL as you knew it last year to come back? You'd probably say probably yes, but maybe not without a back-to-back Roosters premiership. Um, but you want it in these weird circumstances and I reckon a lot of people are going no I want it to you know I'd rather it not come back if it's not what I know you know that Mm. I can go and see and then the corollary of that is I don't reckon I reckon a lot of my colleagues in the media fall for this they don't understand how fans consume sport we consume it in groups with mates in crowds as a sort of this communal thing you know you guys on the hill again you know you you're signalling back to how you appreciated watching your game. And they don't understand that. They just need to see there's this content. It's because sports become content. And to me, it's not that. It's this, this feeling. So it's like, do I want what's on my screen back? Yeah, probably. Yeah, it'll fill in a bit of a gap. But it won't be what I experience. So I reckon that's, um, that's where that, those kind of numbers come from. Mm. Uh, just on... Rugby. I mean, there's so much within that as well, Richard. I think you know. We're, I think we're about to. End, you know, personally, I think we're about to enter this sort of um, dystopia of rugby league, like that dancing bear model you were talking about, where um, nobody's there watching it. We can hear all the hits and stuff like that. We're hearing Phil Gould every day, and mm. maybe what we thought we wanted back wasn't isn't what we want at all. Um, just with yeah. with league, like um, I'm as you know, like fascinated by Peter Vlandes. You describe him in one of your pieces as wearing a sharp suit and with his dark hair swept back from his imposing brow. He'd not be out of place on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I guess my question to you, as someone who's been involved in in league and Australian sport for so long, you've been in the circles. Um, how does a guy like Peter Vlandes manage to get so much consensus? You know, in the ferocious, self-interested jungle of what he would call rugby league. I've never seen anything like it before. Oh, he fascinates me. I, I'm absolutely fascinated by the ladies. I'm, I know, look, going back to my days when I was a more mainstream media character working for the Herald and the telly, I, I'm not sure a week went by where I didn't get an invite to the um, media box at Randwick. So I know he's a <laughs> colossal networker with the media. He's very good at getting people on board and um, he's an ace hospitality guy. Um, but even, even allowing for that, just the way he's kind of the, with this um, force of personality pushed the whole thing through. But he, I reckon he's kind of reached the tipping point. And it was funny, you know, with the whole, the Albury thing for the Melbourne Storm, it was, to me, that was kind of like the first, oh, we haven't ticked this box. Like, mm. you know, the whole Storm team's arrived in Albury. It's like, 
you guys aren't welcome here, but by five to four on the council finding, you know, it's like we, the count, local council have voted against the storm and then they mm. have to find an alternate ground and everything. So it's that force of personality, larger versions of the Albury storm factor that stand in his way because you're just pushing it through this one guy on this crusade. I don't know, but again, he just fascinates me as a character. Uh, it's probably an unfair question as a final one, just to, to crystal ball it. I mean, what, what do you think sport looks like in Australia in a couple of months' time? Um, I'm going to rule out, even though it's, I think it's very much on the table, a, a, a second wave um, of the virus sweeping through and killing the sport in the country, um, though many people think that's a, that's a decent chance. What, what, do, you, what do you think fans uh, and the, the general presentation of sport will look like into sort of uh, round 14 and 15 into August and September as we sort of... Um, become desensitised to the idea of there being no fans and just this kind of empty presentation of sport? I reckon we'll become accustomed to it. It's really funny. Mm. I mean, you, as you know, I'm kind of I'm in Melbourne, so I've kind of mm. acclimatised to the AFL thing. And mm. with the AFL, they made this... I think it was the right decision with the first MCG game that was that Thursday night Carlton-Richmond game where they kind of covered it as a news story. So they kind of mm. kept the cameras back in the MCG, 100,000 empty seats. So how do you think that looked as a yeah. home spectacle? Yeah. You know, it was like this, you know, and, and I think it was the right thing to do, but it made it look so empty and soulless. And then the next night, the game was at Docklands, which is a much smaller stadium, and they kept the camera shots tighter on the, onto the players and, you know, the reaction stuff. And it was kind of, it was kind of just okay compared mm. to the night before. And League, I know, has done the same thing. So, Look, the production guys will come up with ways of doing it. I'm kind of, as you know, Sam, I'm a community sports guy as well. So yeah. I'm just wondering how the, um, what happens at um, NRL level and then probably a little bit later AFL level then impacts what happens at community sport. If there, if there's, you know, playing games causes people to gather together and there's spikes in um, COVID cases because of that and that pushes back community sport and that model. I think people will be disappointed by that if, if they've gone too early. And so that that's one ruction I can see being created. But, yeah, who knows, yeah, mate? It's, everything's up in the air. I'm I'm getting off to watch a, an iPhone update in a minute. So, you know, that's where society's at at the moment. <laughs> you actually meant that. I thought you were just, it was a figure of speech beforehand. Um, re- uh, we'll have to have you You're back on a different it's time. It's the most exciting thing that it's happened all week to me. <laughs> You know, you can just put it on charge and it will happen while you sleep. Anyway, we can talk about this off air. Um, Richard, thanks so much for joining us. We'll have to have you on another time because, I, th- I mean, um, Sparks' connection, I think, has um, failed us, so we'll have to fix it up for next time. But um, I know he was really keen to ask you about community sport because he's involved in it very much so as well. Uh, and I think that's a it's a massive area that needs to be spoken about and isn't getting covered enough, you know, as usual, when it comes to mainstream press. But um, thanks so much for your, for your insights, and uh, we'll catch you next time. No problem. Anytime, anytime, guys. Richard Hines, one of the best going around in Australia when it comes to sports writing. Uh, change your pace, I suppose, Sparks. We're going to get into, are you interested? You've got a few articles there, and you're going to ask me whether I'm indeed interested in um, what it's got to say. And I've got to say, a lot of stuff coming out in rugby league at the moment is not interesting in any way. So uh, with that in mind, kick us off. Absolutely. All right, we alluded to this earlier. Uh, I'm just going to read you the headline here. A riddle wrapped in an, in an enigma. Who exactly is Kodanasa? 
written by at the Rugby League Economist for Fox Sports. Pezza, are you interested in this at all? (laughs) Very curious to click this article, yeah. Go on. Well, I mean, yeah, like, he just... You said it in your in your intro earlier. It's essentially it's one of it's probably the longest article I've read on Fox Sports because it's the longest article that's been published on Fox Sports all year, and it's about a player manager uh, who apparently is like the best bloke out there, but just does things for money, and that's it. Uh, that was basically my read of it. I don't really want to talk. I'm not going to read anything out of the actual article. I mean, you can go and find it if you're really interested in it. But, I mean, Pezza, what's going... What I asked you this during the week. Like, what is doing? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Because when you have, like... Um, and, you know, you, you get this... Get this a little bit when you just follow sport for a long time. Maybe if you've written a little bit, you, you get a s- slight understanding of what an editor might ask you for or or whatever or how it works and... You ask me, you know, what is this about? And, and the first thing you do is you go, you, you look at an article like that and you say, who wrote it? Oh, okay, it's an anonymous account called the NRL Economist who's now been quoted by, you know, guys like Roy Masters and um, um, and, and the, no the, the bloke. And, it, and, and I don't even care to say that it, um, he or she, because it will definitely be a bloke, um, you know, says that they're an award-winning um, person and they've, they've, won, they've won all sorts of journalistic awards and... They call themselves the NRL Economist, and so you're like, okay, so there's an economist, an NRL Economist, writing about going to breakfast with Coda Nasser and Ben Iken, and how Coda Nasser sleeps on park benches. Yeah, and, and he go, only wears black. Well, okay, and what's that's it? It's like, what's this fuck? about? This is like, yeah, and he goes into cafes and makes a calculation of the annual revenues of that cafe based on how many people are in there and the products and the price of the product. So, presenting him as this kind of um polymath who sleeps on park benches and in his car and doesn't sign contracts with players. I find that difficult to believe as a contract negotiator. But anyway, and you sort of ask yourself, okay, what's the driver of this? This guy's an economist doing a puff piece on Coda Nasser, a player agent. Is there something going on in rugby league that we need to know about that makes Coda Nasser relevant? Not that I can see. The economist says on Twitter, read between the lines this isn't about Quade Cooper he talks a lot about Sonny Bill Williams okay is it that's not between the lines is it just about Sonny Bill Williams is he coming back to league mm. why don't you make the article about that why spend 950 words prior talking about Kodanasa not liking the back of his Mercedes Benz car because he probably sleeps in it I oh, know uh, it's it's but it's just so bad it's good mm. you know and so I actually want to salute the NRL economist or whatever journo, you know, is is, is, is looking for a gig somewhere at the moment. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the next one here and just again... Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah, written, I, went, I went off there. Written by the same person. The headline is this time, every NRL team's purity score revealed. There's a purity score. Written by the NRL... Sorry, the rugby league economist. Are you interested what? in the, are the you rugby league in economist the, in the purity score of every NRL club? Yeah, I am actually. This guy's a really good journal. He's come up with something called team purity, which is essentially just cohesion, which uh, people have been talking about for years now. Uh, particularly, what's that mean? 
Well, co- cohesion is... Cohesion. cohesion. What does that mean? Well, it's how uh, cohesive people are, how well they work together. Um, For what end? Uh, to win games like, of football. As a, as a club as a club or as a team or... Well, a club, Every, yeah, every team's... I'm asking every team's purity score, so every well, Wouldn't the answer just score. be the NRL ladder from last year, by definition? Well, ba- what's he... So the, the headline was, this is why the Storm win and the Dragons don't. And he basically... So he basically just says that, um... Yeah, the Dragons don't win because there's no team purity, meaning they retain high quantities of experience, but just not with each other. So what he's saying is whoever spends the most time with each other uh, as a club gets better results. So then he goes on to rank them. Ben Darwin actually has a company doing this. Maybe Ben Darwin is the is the NRL economist or the rugby league economist or whatever he is. Uh, former Wallaby player. There's a rugby union reference for you, Pezza. Uh, the Storm, their purity score is 86, Pezza. Canberra, 82.5. Uh, the Brisbane Broncos, 81.1. The Roosters, 79.1. Oh, because he gets this by going total club appearances. All right, next. What's the next, <laughs> what's the next article? What's doing? What, why is that guy writing that article? That's got nothing to do with economics. Like, that's just... That's that's people and... and He's and, the economist, mate. He's the NRL economist. Oh, okay. He's the NRL, NRL economist on his Facebook page says ads for Peter Wynn's score. I'm happy with it. What's next? Okay, uh, why Sookie Victoria is out to get <laughs> Volandis. <laughs> that's Peter Volandis it is. Uh, are you interested? Sookie means it can only be written by a, a boomer. Well, are you interested? Yes. Okay. I, I, I just want the crux of it, though. I don't want the whole article. Oh, well, it's just basically uh, Peter Volandis... Has been called socially irresponsible by some AFL figures, uh, senior AFL figures, and Volandis is hit back by saying, I'm used to that sort of rhetoric from Victoria. It's nothing new from me. Uh, and it sort of goes on to say, because, you know, he tried to take away the Melbourne Cup and, you know, claimed the Everest is the biggest uh, horse racing thing in uh, yeah. the country now and that sort of stuff. Uh, and, yeah, it's just a, a Melbourne-Sydney thing. Just seeing if you're interested. Well, in I, I find this, this is hard for me because... Ah, because you are There's interested few... and you don't want to admit it. I'm admitting it. I, I mean, I got you to read it, but it's hard for me because, um, you know, I think a few questions need to be asked of Volandis and people are afraid to do it, probably for good reason. But by the same token, he seems to wind up Victorians a lot and I really enjoy that. So, you know. So you're happy with him? In this, On this front, I am, yeah. Okay, I've got a couple more for you. Uh, Canberra Stars lawyer expects serious assault charges to be dropped by May, May 28th. This is on Fox Sports. This is about uh, uh, Curtis Scott. Are you interested in this at all? Um, I'm not interested because the headline gives me all I need to know. So, fuck it off. I mean, okay. He expects it to be dropped. Okay. So Cheers. Uh, so, 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 so the, the, the guy representing <laughs> the client has said publicly that he expects his client to do well. Yeah, but like, yeah, you know, by do well, I mean to not be punished. Amazing. Yeah, I'd be interested if if he'd said the reverse. It's sort of fallen off the radar, though, a little bit. That story, I guess, there's been yes. um, there's been bigger fish uh, to fry, such as this well, one. Well, so I'm not I'm not um, uninterested in the sense that I'm now uninterested in Curtis Scott's assault or NRL players assaulting people, um, but I'm uninterested in the idea that he's 
presumably barrister or his lawyer has come out and has publicly said, I, I don't, I think that we will get what we want. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. Next. Okay. Also from Fox Sports. I'm, alla- I'm allowed to like say I'm uninterested, right? Mate, it's the, it's, it's the, the crux of the segment. I ask okay, you the thanks. question, you know, it's a yes yeah. or a no. You got a few, you got a few here. Yeah, if you're not interested, mate, you say no, we move on, mm. you know? Yeah. We might apologise to a listener or, or two out there if, if I thought there was going to be some good content in it. But um, right. we push on. Now, we spoke about this earlier. Hands on hips, sucking in the big ones and wearing the number three. Latrell's brutal first training run. Again, by our friends of Fox Sports. Pezza, are you interested? No. Yeah, right. Uh, so we just straight move on. Fox Sports, mm-hmm. seeming like they want to have their own sort of Adam Goods kind of uh, moment with Luttrell there but oh, good on them trying their best aren't they yeah I know it's a joke uh, oh yeah I sort of come to this I wanted this show to celebrate the Warriors a little bit more Pez we haven't really got around to that you didn't you didn't um, you didn't lead mm. me into that early you know I, I wanted to, to oh, I love that I, I love that, love that. Yeah, I love that you say your first thought as soon as you say I wanted this to I wanted this that to happen the very next sentence is here's a thing that you did wrong Pezza in relation to that take responsibility oh uh, well, I just wanted to want a bit bit more Warriors content that's later to come too I promised the fans out there that it would be just as a thank you for heading over here and sacrificing it uh, what they have now this says New Zealand needs a second rugby league team Pezza it's on everything rugbyleague.com are you interested no <laughs> everything rugby league second team in New Zealand <laughs> taken from the rugby schools uh, blokes that don't make that's the all a hell of a, uh, that's a hell of a claim for the website every single thing rugby league yeah including second team to New Zealand not for me righto mate alright well that's it that's it for are you interested Pezza I oh, know, there's a final one. Oh, you want to do that one? Okay, so former Origin star says Bush footy a win-win for Queensland NRL players who don't make quarantine squads. That's from the ABC, Pezza. Are you interested? Nah, not really. Oh. Okay, speaking of Bush footy, let's move on to Tiger Corner. Cue the music. <laughs> Okay, it's, this, this, this week it's uh, this week it's my turn to volunteer a top five. Obviously, we know that lists are the bane of everyone's existence. Um, hopefully, you can see that we're doing these lists with a little bit of tongue in cheek. Um, and because I was a little bit worried at the start of this new revamped, revitalized, rejuvenated, remastered off Broadway season, I was a bit worried that sparks in the in the years since we've lasted the hill has become even more evangelist about the tigers and more um forceful in the idea that we must always be positive about everything all the time i was worried that if i handed this segment over to him in its entirety and just let him run it and give his report on the tigers that it would just be a barrage of propaganda of positive propaganda about the tigers because we did discover in fact friends of mine have discovered via whatsapp that the entirety of Sparks' knowledge about the West Tigers recently has just come from westtigers.com. Um, well, it's not. Uh... And so I was just a little bit worried that this would become a propaganda exercise. And so just to help create a few democratic checks and balances, obviously democracy is under fire at the moment, Sparks has very kindly agreed that I occasionally step in with a few top fives for him to go through as well. So in, in that vein, 
because last week he did something really Puritan, like, um, you know, top five captains or something, you know, that again would have been maybe a year five assignment. Um, this week I've, I've asked Sparks um, to count, count down. Now let's get, let's get the wording of this right. Top five times the West Tigers have let you down. Yep. Tim. Yep. Because Lord knows that they've let you down a few times, but the question about how often you're willing to admit it especially publicly, is a different question altogether. So um, let's see how you go. And let's actually see how you spin this to be positive about the Tigers. Yeah, well, look, I've tried to, I've tried to meet this with as much um, respect as possible. And if nothing more, it's respect for the listeners. All right? Because, you know, down this microphone, what does that that's mean? who I'm really talking to here. Uh, obviously talking to yourself, but really, like, I'm talking to the listeners out there and trying to, you know, hope they have a good time listening to this show. So, look... Try to be honest as I can here. Uh, as you can see, I'm not very comfortable being that negative around uh, the joint, but we'll get into it anyway. Okay, so the top five times... The, is, is the truth negative? Uh, top five times that the West Tigers have let me down. Okay, so number five, Pezzi County backwards. Uh, so number five is appointing Terry Lamb as a coach. All right, back there in, in 2001. Uh, very disappointed, yeah, to have... Terry, and look, it's nothing against Terry Lamb as a player as such, or even really as a person, but for a guy that, like, absolutely cheated and um, with thuggery uh, against the Balmain Tigers in 1988, which was only a bit over 10 years ago when he got appointed, uh, that cost us a premiership. And to appoint him as coach, I was very, very disappointed about and I was going to do this as two separate points. We've kept it as one. What was more disappointing about it was uh, when I was up in um, uh, Coffs Harbour and Sawtell uh, in the summer of 2001, uh, family holiday. <laughs> West Tigers were playing a trial game or something like that at Sawtell there. And they were having like a barbecue, a meet and greet uh, for, you know, fans and whatnot. Mm. Uh, we just happened to be up there at the same time. Went to, the, went to this meet and greet and, you know, my dad and I... Uh, you know, went up to, to Terry Lamb just to say hello, you know, you know, and I still remember, <laughs> you know, uh, vividly, uh, like my old man just saying, oh, you know, g'day Terry, you know, how's the season shaping up? And mate, you couldn't have got less from someone. Like he, he just brushed us completely and introduced us to Luke O'Donnell uh, and then pretty much just walked off and that was it. And I just thought that was extremely disrespectful. Uh, and yeah, it was only fortunate that he didn't last, you know, more than two years. So very disappointing uh, part for the club there. I felt let down. Just, just and just as a little parenthesis for the listener there, like, can you inform us and do so honestly because you're an honest person and you you like to say stuff to that effect um, publicly. Uh, when Terry Lamb was appointed back at that time in two thousand two thousand one. Were you excited about his appointment then? No, but that and this is being honest. I wasn't. No, no. And I, but but can I tell you something that I will be honest about? When he did coach them, like they started to become extremely physical in defence. Like you know, because he just tried to basically make the joint Canterbury. I think David Gillespie was on the coaching panel, and he basically just tried to make us Canterbury, which was just you know, bash teams have a massive forward pack. That was fine. I did start to go, oh, this actually might be okay and I might come around to it. But it didn't last very long because we weren't very Mm. good. 
Yeah, you can you choose to accept, believe it. You will accept you're a bit of a hindsight hero with stuff, though, wouldn't you? You will accept that when it comes to player arrivals, departures, and your revisionist view sure. about them. Yeah, well, sure. Number four, uh, <coughs> where I felt pretty let down. I guess not personally, but from a club perspective, I felt letting Scott Prince go uh, in at the end oh. of 2006. Uh, was pretty disappointing because I mean he he was doing so much for the club. Uh, you know, fair enough. Marshall and Hodgson played a big role in it as well, but you know he just did so much for them, and it was pretty evident that when he left, you know we, we didn't have success for many. Well, we did eventually, but I just feel if they had have kept him and maybe paid him a little bit more money, somehow incentivized him to stay. Uh, you know. We could have kicked on a little bit from from 2005. Uh, number three. Number three uh, is uh, not kicking a field goal uh, against the Newcastle Knights in the final game of the 2007 season, Pezza. So there was uh, quite a few years after. 05. That's what you feel. That's what you feel let down by well, in that game. Yeah, because like the Tigers shot out to the. It was it was quite simple. If it was, and it's become a similar kind of uh, situation for us, where you know happens every year, round twenty-five or twenty-six, whatever the last round is. Uh, we you know we usually have to win to make it. Usually, other things need to happen, like you know other teams lose. It was simple this year. All we had to do was win. That was it. Nothing more, nothing less. The Knights were ordinary that year. They were running last or second last. Uh, we shot out to a lead. It would have been 24-6 or something like that. I don't know. All they had, and you know, it was about 20 minutes. So all they had to do was kick a field goal. They had that that many times just to just to drill it home. Uh, they didn't do it, and somehow they let Newcastle come back into it and win, and we didn't make the finals. Uh, so that was that was pretty disappointing stuff, Pezza. Felt a bit let down at that stage. Uh, number two is not playing their home final against the Roosters um, at Leichhardt Oval. Instead, playing it at the SFS uh, in 2010 and then managing to lose uh, a scrum off their own feed uh, against the Roosters. Uh, with, well, hang on, which, about, which you can't. That's two in. That's two in one. Well, I was just trying to. I was just trying to put it together so I could give you more. Like it. it the, I guess it is two things. The biggest. The biggest letdown was the Leichhardt Oval one. I think if they had played at Leichhardt Oval, we would have smashed the Roosters. Uh, so I felt a little bit let down there. Probably sort of went for the. Uh, the ticket prices and the, the oh, more more than anything probably the corporate box uh, money there uh, over getting us into what would have been a preliminary final so felt pretty let down there uh, and number one Pezza in how I felt let down by the Tigers um, is just everything with the Balmain Legs Club just um, if you want to know what I mean drive past Victoria Road uh, in Roselle and have a look at it and it's um, it's shot to all shit sadly um and that's a real shame, mate, because we had a lot of good times there, and you know, it um, did you know, did some good things for the community. I understand there's sort of gambling and stuff involved in that. Probably not great in some aspects, but you know, it was a really fun place to go to, uh, particularly after the games. Uh, and it's just a real shame to you know see it in the state that it has, and you know, in turn, it's you know, it's it's really destroyed. Um, you know, Balmain in particular, uh, Rugby League. So hopefully he can get back on his feet one day, Pezza. But look, that's there it is. There, there's, there's the five times I felt, you know, um, pretty let down. Uh, yeah, pretty uneasy doing that. And um, hopefully next week I'll be able to come back with my own list and my own topic 
uh, and we can, you know, speak with a bit more of a positive sort of frame and, um, you know, remember that that's what it's about. Really, mate? So there no, it I is. I can't... I mean, I don't believe that they're the top five times you've been let... The top five times you've been let down by the club. I mean, there's no mention of Tim Simona. There's no mention of Robbie Farah. There's no mention of Jason Taylor. Uh, there's no mention of the of of Balmain folding. Um, there's uh, you know there's no mention of losing that scrum against the feed in and of itself, which was. I did um, mention that. Uh, no, no. You, well, you said eventually no, it was a like up thing. Is your, this is just proving that you're going to get uh, stuck in me no matter what happens. Like you should um you should learn a lesson from that because it just destroys your credibility. Yeah, the Simona stuff I should have. But I didn't feel that that was necessarily a club thing. That was If you had said the five times Tim Simona let me down, I would have been able to count them all out. you know. But I don't necessarily see that as the Tigers, for example. You've not mentioned once, apart from not kicking a field goal against the Knights, the routine number of times that the club has failed to win the last game to get into the finals. Like the number of times the club actually decides, no, we're not good enough when, they, when the season's actually on the line. Um, that you, you you haven't even mentioned what you mentioned to me every year that the, the club never wins when it's favourites. You know, I mean, I, and these are off the top of my head. I think I've just come up with five things that let you down. I'm sure let you down more than fucking appointing Terry Lamb coach. You know, one as if you care about that. Well, mate, you probably cock a hoop. The club was still alive. All right. Um, but anyway, well done. Thanks, and I'll be back next Coming week. I'll, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm happy to happy to take some requests from the listeners. I and we'll take do, suggestions. I was going to do Kiwis, you know, top five Kiwis this week, just to one of the Warriors. Uh, but, you know, that was something I was thinking of doing. Uh, I'm happy to take suggestions out there from listeners, though, too. Why don't you talk about something else and that thing being what could have been? What's your hypothetical this okay, week? As, um, and if you, are, if you are still with us, thank you deeply. Had a pretty good one this week, I thought. Uh, for what? Could oh, did you? Yeah. That's a surprise. Um, yeah. Look, what did I uh, again? Just to sort of honour the honour the Warriors. I've, I went with uh, the 1995 Auckland Warriors, as they were known back then. Uh, were playing against the 2001 uh, Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. So that's just are uh, the Bulldogs just leading into their um, salary cap uh, rorting stuff that brought them. Uh, a premiership. Good luck to them. Uh, so, yeah, look, a game was played at uh, Ericsson Stadium uh, round 12 in 1995. <laughs> um, and, yeah, some pretty good answers. Sadly, the resounding uh, feedback from everyone uh, was that the Bulldogs would have got the chocolates uh, in this game. Pez are all sort of hoping for a bit, bit of love. For the 95 uh, Warriors side. You know, a side that had the likes of Gene Namu, Greg Alexander, Phil Blake, Stacey Jones, uh, all sorts of, you know, gun Kiwi players from around that time. Uh, but I guess, yeah, running into a into a real, real hot Bulldogs team that, again, we're coming into a salary cap cheating sort of era. Uh, young Brayton Astor, Patton, El Masri. Shane Martini on the wing, Travis Norton, who we forgot about a couple of weeks ago, Darren Britt. Didn't include Steve Hughes in that. Uh, sorry, um, Steve Price in that side. What have he been playing then? Yeah. He might have been out injured. Absolutely. Daryl Trindle. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Andy Platt was playing for, for the Warriors, Pezza. But look, you know, it's sort of hard to come out with... Um, 
one winner in this one. I mean, your answer was very good. Well done. But, you know, it'd be a conflict of interest to award you the sort of best response, don't you think? Oh, no, uh, so absolutely no surprise there that the, the, the thing that I say gets no regard at all. Uh, Alex Tay said, dogs buy plenty. Quality across the park, led by Darren Britt. True. Uh, ben Chines, you know, pointed out another re- uh, reoccurring theme, saying that the Warriors were actually docked two competition points uh, for incorrect use of an interchange player. The interchange must have been quite new, I guess, in the early 90s. Uh, when did the interchange actually come through? That's something we should um, maybe check out, Pezza and... Uh, yeah, Billy Reese says, yeah. hate to say the Bulldogs. Uh, James Patton says it's got Graham Hughes written all over it. It's not bad. Tim Stewart's come in and just paid his respects to Paul Rohihi and said dogs by 36. Um, Big dogs man, Tim Stewart. Yeah, well, maybe we'll give him give him the chocolates today. Um, by 36, he's a, bit, he's a bit harsh on the Warriors, I think. It's not really, though, Sparks, because, again, the, the, the Bulldogs were a really good side in 2001, and... The Warriors in 95 were literally mid-table mediocrity. They, they finished mid-table. Um, and you have some... You have a real blind spot, as I wrote on the post, uh, or the second or the third one. You have a real blind spot when it comes to teams with players who are about five to six years past their prime. Um, but then again, I can see why you would, because you're a West Tigers fan, and that's literally your team most of the time. You know, players who basically played better at other clubs when they were younger. That was that Warriors side. Go through it. Yeah, it probably is. Dean Bell was the captain. Alex. Dean Bell was the captain of that side. Did you know much about him? He played a hell of a lot of games in England. It's not like the Warriors like they, they, they it was when they used to take players from who Kiwis were playing in England, like Gene Namu, Dean Bell, uh, well Dennis Betts and Andy Platt were actual English guys themselves, but they just came over and played for him. But yeah, apparently Dean Bell was this okay. like really, really yeah. amazing um like hard nosed sort of yeah, centre. Um, okay. He captained the the Kiwis uh, league side like twenty odd times, um, but yeah, had him in there as captain, good player. But yeah, again, probably maybe a bit past his time. Uh, but anyway, I guess it's a resounding win of the Bulldogs. They're a strong club, mate, with a big supporter base. So you know, fair play to them. Uh, and finally, you've got you've, you've cobbled together a couple of comments for our, for our final section for mine, and I want to read something out just to finish off as well. Oh, yeah, well, look, you know, we had a bit of engagement with the uh, what could have been, which was great. Uh, didn't have heaps of questions or anything as such, but it is worth noting that both Alex Tay and Louis Turner are both uh, got in touch with the show and said that's one of the best Tiger Corners they heard uh, last week of me counting down the top five captains, uh, Pezza. So thanks, Alex and, and Louis, for getting in touch uh, about that. And, um, yeah, look, I'll just keep endeavouring to, to come up with good lists for Tiger Corner, um, you know, for, for, for you guys and the other listeners. That's it. So when you said to me before we started the show, and I've got a few things for mine, with, with for mine, that was two people that you know telling you that your segment was good. That's it. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Um, I had a wonderful um, message, and I haven't even asked um, this person whether... I'm allowed to read it out, but this is the kind of this is the quality of, of conversation that I'm after. Well, we've sort of addressed some of these issues at the top of the show and whatever, but I just wanted to read out this good message that I got last week from a um, great friend of the show, Leigh Lewis Flickpaster, a partner for September 2016. Um, and he just wrote, "Enjoyed the pod." Well, I find the Vlandi, and this is a comment. I was read this as okay. a comment, not responding to it. I think it's good. I think it's a good message. 
enjoyed the pod. While I find the Volandis love um, troubling slash nauseating, I think there's a risk of seeing the NRL's approach to getting the season started through the wrong lens. I'm just guessing, but from the point of view of a sport that is never going to win over polite slash middle class opinion anyway, why wouldn't you directly say what you want and plan for it publicly? From what I've seen, if the AFL's plans in the media of the AFL's plans in the media, they're looking for pretty much the same outcome, but are doing it more quietly. Is that smarter? Maybe. But another way of looking at it could be the NRL is doing the hard work out in public, taking the flak, etc., while the AFL benefits. My personal way of doing things is probably closer to the AFL, um, uh, but maybe the NRL is way more honest. Apologies for the rant. Something to think about, Sparks. Something for all of us to think about as we go into next week. Only two weeks to go when we come back next week before the NRL season starts in its uh, ghost game format. And until then, we would love more correspondence, more reviews, more suggestions for Tiger Corner, and um, you know more of your comments and questions on For Mine as well. That'd be great. Thanks for sticking with the hill as we build something. Just when the NRL season starts and we can start hanging out as well, you know, stage three restrictions are lifted, then Sparks and I will be able to get in the same room and take this to the next level. Uh, thanks for supporting us. Until then, uh, we will see you next week. Stop the recorder. Oh yeah, because you do it. Yeah, do it. Yeah, sweet.